Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. The NBA Finals start tonight. It's the Golden State Warriors against the Toronto Raptors, the first time the Raptors have been to the finals. John, you covered the NBA beat for quite a few years. Is it correct that you were at the very first game in the history of the Raptors franchise? Oh, yeah, that's true, Eric. Uh, it was November 3rd, 1995. The hapless Raptors hosted the hapless New Jersey Nets. <laughs> and the Purple Dinosaurs thrilled the Sky Dome crowd of uh, 33,000, I think it was. Uh, they thrashed the Nets by 15 points. Behind uh, trivia, the final 30-point game of former Spur star Alvin, Alvin Robertson's career. I don't know if you remember him. but mm, I really um, don't. <laughs> he had taken two years off before that uh, I think he had knee problems, and uh, this was his final season, and uh, this was pretty much his last hurrah, but it was something. But what I remember most about the this game was actually the pregame ceremony. Uh, now, Eric, I consider myself a moderate, cosmopolitan fellow who tries to respect cultural differences. So when four or five muscular dudes wearing nothing but loincloths carried out a giant egg that turned out to house that purple dinosaur mascot at center court, um, I was cool with it. You know, oh, Canada and all that. Sure. Um, then came the announcement of the singers, the national anthem. And again, I was prepared to embrace cultural differences um, even more eagerly in this case, because uh, I've mentioned in the past that um, – in this Pleistocene era of NBA revenue enhancement, uh, I usually had better than a front row seat for the action. They hadn't figured out that they could sell these seats for thousands of dollars and stick the media in the upper deck. But um, So I was only a few feet away in New Jersey a few years earlier, for instance. Um, you probably remember or heard about uh, Olympic track and field star Carl Lewis sang a hideous version. Ah, of yes. Anthem. Yeah. Yeah. I, you might be able to find me in those YouTube clips. Ah, uh, cool. So I'm, I'm very close to it. Uh, so now I'm in a similar seat uh, in Toronto. And um, – it's something completely different, though. Um, it turns out, Eric, that the Canadian national anthem was going to be sung by bare naked ladies. So, you know, all right. All righty, then I figure if that's the cultural preference, I'm not going to judge. And so be it. And let's let's bring it on. I'm ready for it. Uh, and then some guys came out to sing. And um, maybe that's what deflated the Nets. I, I, that night, I don't know. It, it definitely deflated me for sure. 
<laughs> That's funny. Of course, they they would go on later to uh, to score some big hits in America, but uh, I guess at the time they were no, uh, not not, not a well known band in the in the well, US. Well, not in my mind anyway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and by the way, speaking of uh, your history covering the NBA and uh, having an, an up close look at things, uh, I looked up that uh, that Camby Van Gundy punch on YouTube that you mentioned last week on the podcast, and you do deserve kudos for how stone faced you remained as Van Gundy went down. I, I'm I'm impressed. You're a, you're a true pro, John Brennan. Yeah, that was 20 years ago, and uh, practically before the internet. I'm not, not quite. Certainly, I had no reason to think that the clip could be found 20 years later, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad I had that, uh, some kind of foresight anyway. Yep, it's out there. All right. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 42 of Gamble On. Uh, we're both wearing number 42 Jackie Robinson jerseys in honor of the occasion. Uh, we hope all of you listening at home are too. If you missed any of our previous 41 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Just click subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And Eric, the 50th World Series of Poker, of course, gets underway this week. And uh, so coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by kid poker himself, Daniel Negreanu. Uh, we'll talk to Daniel about his WSOP motivation, uh, the end of that relationship with poker stars that people have heard about, and the future of online poker in America overall. Uh, first, it's been another busy news week in the world of gambling. So let's get right to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Finally, I I feel like Dwayne The Rock Johnson here. Finally, online sports betting has come to Pennsylvania. Kind of a uh, half-assed The Rock impression, but uh, (laughs) oh well. Uh, It took one full year after PASPA was overturned and 19 months after Pennsylvania passed a sports betting bill. But on Tuesday at about 4.10 p.m., Play Sugar House, the online brand of Sugar House Casino in Philadelphia, began taking sports bets as part of a planned three-day soft launch. Back on April 17th, a representative of the Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board indicated that the first sports betting site slash app would launch by early May. Instead, it took until May 28th, but all of our sources were dead on in telling us Sugar House would be first. There's not much to say about the site. It's basically identical to the Play Sugar House New Jersey sports betting site. And if you have an account in New Jersey, you can use it in PA as well. You just can't use the same bankroll. The big difference is that in Pennsylvania, for now, there's a website and an Android app, but no Apple Store app for iPhones and iPads. And that was apparently part of the holdup. Sugar House was waiting for Apple Store approval and eventually just gave up. Uh, so, John, was that the right call by Sugar House to stop waiting around for Apple Store approval and just get the product out there? And how much advantage does Sugar House have in the state by launching first? Hmm. I think I'd like to use up my phone a millennial option here. <laughs> um, I'm guessing they don't they don't have both the Apple and Android devices, but maybe they were with a group of friends watching a game together. And not everyone is in the Apple universe, so they can all play on one account. I, I'm not sure. But what really gets me, though, is Apple. Uh, we ran into this in New Jersey, of course, last year. Uh, FanDuel and DraftKings lucked into an early edge because they were already approved for Daily Fantasy Sports. And there was mass confusion about uh, everybody else doing the exact same offering of sports betting legally kind of obvious um uh, you know i fear this means eric that not a single employee of any clout or any level of any importance at at apple listens to our podcast or reads our stories really (laughs) because um couldn't they just do the google to find out what states offer clearly legal sports betting is it really that complicated yeah you'd think that they would have some inkling that this is coming and 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 be ready to grant something approval a a little more quickly i I don't know why this takes so long um i mean the, the apple app is important 
uh, for these betting sites. Yeah, I imagine more people place bets on that than on either the Android app or the or the web version. That that said, you're you're certainly not hurting yourself if you're Sugar House by just launching without it. I, I figure if people who only have iPhones, not Android phones, really want to get started, they can use their computers. Um, so I mean, I get why Sugar House waited a little while for App Store approval, but they made they made the right decision this week to just pull the ripcord and launch. No sense waiting around any longer. Yeah, I agree. It can't hurt. And I, and I don't think, uh, by the way, that the, the first mover advantage is significant, especially because of what time of year it is. It's a slower sports betting season. You know, maybe during football season, if you are the only site out there, you can get a lot of customers who are going to turn turn out to be those kind of customers who don't start a second account anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in late May, all through the summer, it's really no big deal. Whoever has the best app with the best promos and the best lines, I presume, will rise to the top in Pennsylvania by this fall. And we'll, we'll figure out who they are. Right. <laughs> Our next story here focuses on a state that will soon be following in Pennsylvania's footsteps and launching mobile sports betting, and that state is Tennessee. This past Friday, Tennessee's sports betting bill passed into law, but the most interesting part of the story is how it got a strong non-endorsement from Governor Bill Lee. We knew he was going to let it pass without his signature, but we didn't know Lee would issue a statement uh, in which he said, quote, I do not believe the expansion of gambling through online sports betting is in the best interest of our state, but I appreciate the General Assembly's efforts to remove brick-and-mortar establishments. The bill ultimately did not pursue casinos, the most harmful form of gambling, which I believe prey on poverty and encourage criminal activity. Uh, Then he added... I remain philosophically opposed to gambling and will not be lending my signature to support this cause. We see this issue differently, but let me be clear. Any future efforts to expand gambling or introduce casinos to Tennessee will assure my veto. Uh, What this means is that as long as Bill Lee is governor... Any sports betting sites in Tennessee should expect to only be able to offer sports betting. They won't have casino games on the side like all of the New Jersey sites do. Tennessee will have a high sports betting tax rate, by the way, 20%. John, do you see any potential operators shying away if they know that sports betting is the only vertical they can offer? Yeah, uh, there's plenty weird about the Tennessee version of sports betting, I got to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's a decent sized state. Uh, they have pro sports teams, big college programs. So I would think the big boys are going to dive in anyway. It's uh, there's, there's too much to be made there. Uh, and elected officials don't stay around forever and uh, laws can be amended. So um, you don't want to sort of sit back and then next thing you know, something's changed in a couple of years and you're you're late to the dance. So they'll they'll go in. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think there's still money to be made, especially if you already have all the pieces in place to set up a sports betting site slash app. You know, there's not much overhead. So, yeah, I would fully expect the DraftKings's and FanDuel's and William Hill's to, to launch in Tennessee. Um, you know, they shouldn't expect a huge windfall there, I guess. Uh, and they should be prepared that it's not impossible to have a losing month in the state if uh, uh, Tennessee college programs are, are, are doing well, but, you know, sort of like Rhode Island sports books did with the Super Bowl, uh, be prepared for that. Um, but it's certainly a fascinating precedent that Tennessee is setting, uh, allowing mobile sports betting only and uh, doing so despite the governor making his opposition well known. Um, but yeah, good for Bill Lee for letting it pass. To me, that's good governance uh, when you don't let your personal opinion overrule what a clear majority of legislators and citizens want. You know, there, there's no I in government, John. <laughs> That's solid government. I think you're right, yes. Did I, did I coin a new phrase there? I just uh, had, to, had to think it out. But uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. For our final story, we've talked so far about a state that has launched sports betting, Pennsylvania, and one that will soon, Tennessee. And we finish with a state making no progress, Illinois. The Illinois General Assembly adjourns at the end of this week. So there have been hearings and conversations trying to move a sports betting bill along. But there's a long way to go and a lot of hurdles to clear. First off, there's the so-called penalty box issue. Rush Street Gaming argues that FanDuel and DraftKings have been operating daily fantasy games illegally in the state and wants them to be frozen out of sports betting at first, which obviously would benefit Rush Street. Uh, That back and forth is slowing things down. And on top of that, Illinois is proposing a bill with enormous licensing fees, as high as $25 million for online-only sports betting companies, which just like the penalty box idea, targets DraftKings and FanDuel. Nobody's really budging, so it seems like sports betting in Illinois is dead for 2019. So, John, how optimistic are you that something can come together in 2020? And is everyone better off if Illinois just tables it for a year or more rather than pushing through deeply flawed legislation? Uh, I, I got to give Illinois credit. Um, they're really taking their place alongside, think about it, California, Texas, New York, and Florida are the most populated states. Um, mm-hmm. None of them are exactly leading the sports betting charge. And uh, it's as if this way Illinois gets to prove that they're a big state too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was the number five population state as recently as 2010, uh, but now it's being edged out by the aforementioned Pennsylvania. So, uh, uh, but they're they're just like the big boys in this respect. Um, I'd like to picture this as a, a sufficient exodus of gamblers to a more receptive state like Pennsylvania coming from Illinois to flip the switch there, but there's probably other factors involved. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, just the broader question of uh, when you're looking at this legislation that really has a lot of problems with it, of of whether to get it done fast or get it done right, I guess that always depends on a state's openness to amending legislation after the fact, but that's generally a dicey proposition to push something through and then count on being able to change it later. Um, A key detail here is that the legislation for Illinois, as it currently stands, says that online betting won't start until 18 months after the bill becomes law. So even if they did rush something through, we're looking at a 2021 launch for mobile. All the more reason for Illinois to, to take its time and try to get it right next year, maybe. If, if only there was like a fairly large state that had had online gambling for sports betting rather for, say, a year, and then we could look at their results and whether there were any problems, what kind right. of revenues they had. You know, if only in a, in a perfect world, there would be <laughs> a state like uh, Lou Lurzy, something like that. Would do right. it, but I guess there isn't one. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it when uh, Sarcastic John comes out to play. I always enjoy him. <laughs> It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The cards are in the air at the World Series of Poker this week, so it's a perfect time to welcome to the podcast a Poker Hall of Famer, a six-time bracelet winner and two-time World Poker Tour champion, one of the hosts of Dat Poker Podcast, and a newlywed. Kid Poker, Daniel Negreanu. Daniel, congratulations on the recent wedding, and welcome to Gamble On. Well, thanks for having me on. So before we dive into uh, WSOP questions, let's touch on your big relationship news from last week. No, not the wedding. Uh, the, the news that your 12-year relationship with Poker Stars as a sponsored pro is over. When you look back over these 12 years, what are you most proud of in terms of your partnership with Poker Stars? And do you have any regrets? Anything you wish Stars had done differently or, or you had done differently working with them? You know, overall, over the 12 year run, obviously, whenever you work within a company, you're going to have your ups, your downs. But 
overall, you know, I had really fond memories of the entire relationship and, uh, you know, as, as amicable a split as you can imagine. And, uh, you know, I wish them the best. I think they did a lot of good things in terms of, you know, several times essentially saving the poker world by bailing out full tilt poker when they went under and um, really just doing their best to promote the game. And they were sort of the last big brand left that was doing a lot of recruiting in terms of bringing new people in. So certainly proud of my role in in helping with that. And uh, obviously, if there's one regret, it wasn't something that I could have done anything differently with because I did my best was that there was a issue a few years ago with sort of a supernova elite program. And uh, it was cut in terms of percentages. And it was done so in a fashion that I didn't think was fair to the players. Um, ultimately I don't make the final decisions, but I certainly made my voice heard and, you know, right. uh, ultimately, you know, wasn't able to get it done. Right. Yeah. So, uh, staying on the topic of online poker, Daniel, uh, we're starting to see signs of expansion. Finally, uh, Pennsylvania will go live in mid July. Uh, we believe that, um, they just, they just launched mobile sports betting. So maybe we can believe what they say, but you know, a few <laughs> other States are, are moving along in legislation. Um, you know, we've been asking this question since about 2012, but, uh, uh how optimistic uh, would you say you are? you know, currently that online poker is eventually going to make that big, strong comeback in the U S with a, you know, solving liquidity problems and compacts and all that. Well, for me, I think, you know, what we need to do is piggyback sports because sports has gotten legislation that's been very favorable to legalize sports betting. And it's certainly much more popular. I mean, poker is kind of a niche sport niche game where, you know, people, not as many people are going to be involved in that as sports betting. So if sports betting sites start to proliferate across the country, um, they may want to add a component to keep, you know, players on the site, which would be something along the lines of online poker. So I think piggybacking on that type of legislation is our best shot. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because, um, again, po- uh, sports betting is just going to be a lot more lucrative for these companies. They don't have as much incentive to, you know, uh, offer poker as well. Along those lines, is, is, it, is it frustrating to you at all as a poker guy to see how much more quickly and easily things have taken off with, with sports betting than they did with online poker? I don't know if I'd use the word frustrating. I do think it is kind of silly when we think of America being the land of the free. But, you know, you can't sit on your toilet and play on a laptop. Whereas in Russia, you know, the big bad Russia, you know, people can play online in a lot of other countries. So kind of silly, really, that the government is not seeing the value of you know, getting on board here from a tax perspective and, you know, having online gaming be regulated because it's going to happen anyway, as we've seen. Even after Black Friday, there were sites that popped up, unregulated sites, and and people are always going to find a way to play. Right. All right. So let's talk WSOP. Uh, You've been doing this for more than 20 years now. A lot of other players of your generation, it seems their motivation to play the World Series has come and gone. You know, either they've semi-retired from poker or there are guys who'd rather play the big cash games. What makes you different? How how do you stay motivated every summer to play as many events as you do and, and pursue more bracelets? Well, for, you know, it's not hard for me to motivate myself. I've always, it's been always been easy. And the World Series is always something that we need you to gear up for. Um, it's a blast. It's like, you know, if you play video games, your goal is to get to the top high score or, you know, move up the ladder. And essentially, you know, this is my video game where I get to play the character of myself <laughs> and, you know, post the results. So, you know, statistically, it's got history. I grew up watching it as a kid and just thinking, wow, I'd love to take part in this one day. So the fact that it's in my, you know, where I live now in Las Vegas, it's the one time of year that I spend the vast majority of my play is going to happen over the next six weeks. 
Yeah, so speaking of those bracelets, uh, Daniel, you know, you've got six bracelets, obviously, two World Series of Poker Player of the Year awards. Um, the only major accomplishment I, I can imagine that you has uh, looted you is the is winning the, the big event. It's the main event itself. So you finished 11th there twice. Um, so we'll give you a, a kind of a fun, I hope, uh, would you rather question here. I'm really curious as to what you're going to pick. Uh, would you rather win three more bracelets during the pre-main event portion of WSIP this year, but bust early in the main event? Or you can win no bracelets prior to the main, but but you know that you're going to reach the final table of the main event with an average stack, so you have a real serious chance to win the big one. So which would you pick? Man, those are both good options. So mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't be you know I wouldn't be ashamed to take either, but I'm definitely going to go with the shot at the big title at okay. the World Series Booker Final Table Main Event. Yeah, yeah. You're, average you're, stack. That's that's a dream. You're a gambler after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, not not to go uh, negative uh, on uh, in in a twist on that question, but does the does the 2015 uh, finish still gnaw at you at all, or, or are you long long since over that? Oh yeah, I mean I allowed myself to feel all the emotions in the moment and dealt with it there, and it's been you know I, I haven't even thought about it. You know you brought it up now. I, I tried to remember. Whoa, was it 2015? Because <laughs> uh, you know it's, I yeah I mean I don't I don't dwell like I'm I'm pretty good about moving past, you know, any sort of bad beats in my, I mean, I remember them, don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't let them affect my mindset today. Gotcha. All right. Before we let you go, one last quick one. Uh, You're a huge Survivor fan. I'm a huge Survivor fan. I remember you tweeting several years ago that if you ever played, you have a winning strategy figured out. Uh, More recently on your podcast, you said you're unlikely to ever play because it would mean missing the World Series. So give us some odds. Where would you set the odds on whether Daniel Negreanu ever plays Survivor? Oh, it's a big underdog to ever happen. I mean, I would say it's... uh probably in the two, 3% range where I would ever play. If I did play though, I would take a lot better odds than that, that I'd actually, you know, at least make the merge and do well and, and possibly win. Okay. So you still believe in, in your secret strategy, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I feel like it's, you know, it's a multifaceted strategy <laughs> that takes into account the fact that, you know, with 16 to 20 people on the Island, there's a very good chance. Some of them recognize me. So I can't go in there saying, Oh, I'm a, you know, real estate agent. I think that would, uh, <laughs> causing more harm than good so owning who i am owning the fact that i'm a gambler and i've made a lot of money and using that to my advantage in some way okay. yeah i don't know i'd want to i'd want to take out the poker player as soon as i could i've got to admit <laughs> well i think i would find a way to convince you to keep me yeah you probably <laughs> you probably could <laughs> all right well this has been a real pleasure thanks so much for joining us daniel uh, congrats again on the wedding and uh, best of luck all summer at the world series thanks guys appreciate your time Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Most of last week's bets were futures bets of one kind or another, so we only have one new result in, and it's an ugly one. Uh, John bet on the the Bucks to win the series against the Raptors when they were tied 2-2, and instead Toronto won games 5 and 6. So that's a $278 hit to our bankroll. You got anything to say for yourself other than a deep Uh, sigh? Uh, uh, soon. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll give you a moment to uh, to get gather your thoughts. I'll note that in terms of some of our futures bets, the the Reds and Rockies have been playing better lately, so that's slightly encouraging. We have a Bruins title bet and a Warriors title bet out there. We have a bet on Nadal to win the French. Uh, but for now, the only update to the bankroll is that Bucks loss. So we're now ahead by three hundred seventy eight dollars. 
with $1,660 tied up in futures bets, leaving us with $8,718 available to bet. And you are up first, John. Uh, first, I have to apologize for that Bucks bet. Um, classic rookie mistake. Yeah, I was going to bet half of that amount, but your first bet last week was so big and so bold. I seriously got caught up in the excitement. Um, wow. you know, lesson, of course, is number one, obviously, you never risk more money than you can afford to lose. But rule two, really, is don't be more aggressive in a wager unless you're truly convinced the odds are with you. You know, Getting bolder because of external factors like that is a loser approach, and I I got the beating I deserve. So yeah, uh, good analysis. And, and for the record, I still I was on the same side as you in terms of the bet and thinking who was going to win. I just I didn't love the odds. It was a, a little exactly. long for that. But yeah, uh, the, the, yeah. the the Bucks were up double digits in both games, and uh, to a point where the Raptors really couldn't save themselves. They needed help from the from the uh, Bucks. So um, I don't think it was a terrible bet. The amount the amount and the odds were terrible. That's what made it so so poor. But moving on. Um, so I already have four Bruins wins under my belt in the postseason. Uh, I'm going for a quick hit in game three. Uh, Bruins 100 to win 110. Um, the Blues did fight back to win in overtime in game two, but uh, I don't see them grabbing a lead in this series at all. Um, they'll be a tough team in game four, home down 2-1. Uh, I'll avoid that one, but we'll go one, 100 to win 110 on game three. Bruins at St. Louis. Okay, and I like those odds. Getting a little plus money there yeah. to support that. Yeah. Um, for my first bet this week, you know, I flirted with different ways to bet this Warriors-Raptors series um i considered getting plus money on the warriors to win in five or fewer games but that's a little dicey we don't know if or when durant is coming back and they did go six games in two of their three series so far this postseason so while i fully expect golden state to prevail i guess there's a chance the raptors win more than one game here so i'm not going to mess with that in the end i've decided to focus on tonight's game one and I'm liking the under on the total of 213.5 points. The Warriors are coming off a long break. There will be some NBA Finals jitters for probably everyone on the Raptors, other than Kawhi, who is a cyborg incapable of experiencing jitters. Mm -hmm. uh, Toronto is a very good defensive team. Golden State isn't bad on defense either. I just don't see either team putting up huge numbers. I found minus 104 juice at Sugar House. So I'm betting $104 to win 100 on game one going under 213 and a half points. And barring overtime, which is always a danger when you're betting yeah. under, but barring <laughs> overtime, I feel good about this one. Yeah, I was thinking of overtime and now we <laughs> both know it's going to happen. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> My other bet, uh, it's Jack Nicholas's Memorial Tournament on the PGA Tour this week. Uh, this is arguably a top 10 event of the season. And um, I'm going to stay in my lane this time and end price point this time and go just 100 to win 110 on Tony Finau to land a modest top 20 and another 10 to win 55 that he lands a top five. Um, Finau just launched a new putting approach. These greens are much, very much to his liking. Uh, he placed second just last week. Uh, I can't trust him to win, but he'll be there. So that's why I'm going uh, 100 to win 110 top 20, 10 to win 55 top five. Okay, I like it. By the way, I, I golfed uh, over the weekend for the first time in probably a decade or so. Uh, I, I Partially, uh, I'm not that good at golf, so I don't enjoy it, so I don't do it often. Uh, partially, uh, back problems in the last year or two have further dis discouraged me from, uh, from doing it. But uh, this doesn't even count as real golf anyway. I took my son out to play pitch and putt. Uh, so it's the closest I'll get to real golf. So on a par 3, 18 hole pitch and putt course. Uh, so what's that mean? The par would be uh, 54 if I'm doing the yes. math right in my head. Shot an 84. <laughs> so you well, can get a sense of how, how bad a golfer I am. I'll tell you, uh, keep your kid going out there. I, I played pitch and putt for about three or four years as a kid. Um, and it, it, 
it gives you a better short game and better putting than anybody you ever play with who starts the game as an adult. It's like learning right. a language. You know, you, right. you're not going to be good at it if you start when you're an adult. But as a kid, you know, so I've, I used to play against people and my game looked terrible. My swing looked terrible and I'm beating them by six strokes and they can't figure it out. And that's why <laughs> your chipping and putting is great. So you're uh, you may not be any good, but your your son's got a fighting chance now. <laughs> there we go. Although uh, golf is an expensive sport, so I'm not sure I want to push him into it too. Hard. Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, you little need a pitch local, and putt never hurts. Yeah, you need a local course that uh, I used to get. Uh, I'm not showing my age, but in the summer on Tuesdays and Thursdays, it was $1.50 for 18 holes on a par wow. 70. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good bad. municipal thing. They were trying to get right. kids interested in the game and all that, so that's right. so you got to find. Okay. Uh, all right, back to betting. Um, it seems like there's a big boxing match worth betting on every week lately, uh, and the big one this week is Anthony Joshua, arguably the world's number one heavyweight, one of the biggest sports stars on the planet, even if many Americans have barely heard of him. Uh, he's making his U.S. debut at Madison. Square Garden against Andy Ruiz and John you're gonna laugh your ass off when you get a look at Ruiz's physique this guy does not look like an athlete uh, but he knows how to box he has fast hands uh, interestingly I'll cite some figures that FanDuel PR sent us this morning Joshua is a minus 4,000 favorite Ruiz a plus 1200 underdog and FanDuel says 90% of the money line bets are on Ruiz uh, though it's all small wagers um I personally think Joshua is uh, a special fighter, and he'll get Ruiz out of there, but it won't be quick and easy. FanDuel is paying plus 175 on Joshua by knockout anywhere in the second half of the fight from round 7 through 12. So that's where I'm going. $100 to win 175 on Joshua by KO from the seventh round on. It sounds like this guy has a choice of exactly what round he wins in. <laughs> pretty much, except uh, Ruiz is, you know, pretty tough, pretty slippery. His only loss was over the 12-round distance. So, uh, yeah, Joshua should dominate, uh, but I, I don't think it'll be a case of uh, if he wants to blow him out in one or two rounds, he can. He may have to wear him down a little bit. Okay. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Uh, Eric, this week's homily is about rain and impudence. Um, we're mourning the passing of 22-year Major League Baseball veteran uh, first baseman outfielder Bill Buckner. Um, I'll start with the rain. Uh, game six of the 86 Mets-Red Sox series uh, was over and enough said about that. Uh, game seven was coming Sunday night at uh, Shea Stadium in October of that 1986. And um, college buddy of mine, as it happens, grew up across the street from legendary New York City sports writer Dick Young. He's the one who hounded Tom Seaver out of town in the 1970s uh, to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Um, so my friends got seats for the game, but a sister who didn't know Bill Buckner from Buck Rogers, um, you can Google that one, kids, but uh, she had insisted on attending game six and she planned to be at game seven as well. But game seven gets rained out. And so she asks him, what do they do now? <laughs> and he tells her they'll play Monday night instead. No good, she says. Uh, she has piano lessons to give. Oh, well, he says, and he calls me and asks if I would like to go to game seven. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I would. So we're load section behind home plate, great seats. Um, and when Buckner first stepped up to the plate, I gave him a sarcastic standing ovation. Um, that's the impudence. Uh, of course, okay. the Mets played out their destiny, you know, rallying from a 3 nothing deficit mid-game to win their last World Series, as it turned out. Um, it was a perfect night, really, for me, except... In retrospect for that douchey, can we say douchey on this podcast? I think yeah, we can. we can say that, sure. Yeah, like a Queen's cheer for Buckner. No class by me. Uh, booing would have been uh, fine, obviously. But, uh, of course, Buckner won over even angry Red Sox fans over the years uh, 
with uh, plenty of class that I didn't show myself. So uh, RIP to Mr. Buckner and uh, to your family as well. And with that, everybody, gamble on. <laughs>